you get older, you're going to be one of us because you're part of the family. At the end of the day, what it's going to boil down to is attachment issues, absent fathers and mothers who are stressed out, mothers who are frustrated and mothers who, who probably have to work two jobs. When you get a taste of the power, the respect, a lot of people don't know how to express their love robbing kids of their authenticity, then what they're doing is that they're ultimately suppressing their emotions. I could probably count with one hand how many times we we ever hugged. That was my normal. This is it. This is what I'm willing to kill and die for. Dear young married couple, you're in a busy season of your life. You're probably working and involved in ministry. On top of that, you might even be parents or students. You're maxed, but you really want to stay connected in your marriage. And that's why we're bringing this podcast to you. I'm Adam King. And I'm Carissa King. And we work with busy couples just like you in our counseling office here in Sacramento, California. We also work with couples all over the world through online counseling. And our couples are really just looking for ways to communicate with each other more effectively. Some of them are looking to heal from a breach in trust or find direction in fulfilling the purpose that God has for them. So come and join us as we have a conversation. We'll talk with therapists, authors, pastors, and other couples who will pour into us, giving us tools to become more intimately connected, get adventurous, and find purpose. Welcome to the Dear Young Married Couple podcast. Today's episode is about what gang culture can teach us about connection in a family. And we're so honored to have our guest with us today, Miguel Gallegos. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> and Miguel um, has a special place in our hearts because we go we go way back. Um, but Miguel's also on our team here at Wellness Inc. and Dear Your Married Couple. He is a therapist. Um, he's bilingual. He offers counseling in Spanish. Um, he does a lot of crisis work, trauma work and um, grief work with clients. It's good to have them on our team. I know, we're so thankful. But um, man, Miguel, you have quite a story to share and we're gonna dive into that story today. And um, and then we'll share too where God has brought you since then. It's it's pretty incredible. Well, thanks. Um, I'm happy to be here and uh, let's get started. All yeah. right. Um, so why don't we start from like the beginning? Because I've been your friend for a while and got to listen to a lot of your stories yeah and i knew this this was a great topic i already saw the parallels of a lot of the stories that you've said Mm -hmm. or told me over the time of how families can learn a lot from what you personally experienced Mm -hmm. within gangs so maybe tell us uh you know where where it all began for you where it all began (laughs) So I do remember there was a, um, I mean, I grew up my whole life around the gang culture. Um, there was also the, the Christian background. Um, let's see. I remember a specific, uh, time. I would say I was probably about seven, between seven, eight years old, Mm -hmm. probably. Um, and it was actually here in Sacramento in the Sacramento area on Franklin Boulevard. Um, my cousin and my uncle had just got, they, they got off the, the public, um, bus, the transportation 
and um and there was some blood and they were like laughing they were stumbling and um i was riding my bike and i rode up all happy hey what's going on and they started telling me that they had just gotten into a gang fight on the bus Mm. and um and i was like wow you know you guys are crazy and they're they're telling me all about it and then uh one of them uh turned to me and he said uh you know when you get older you're gonna be one of us mm. and i i was like nah i said uh when i grow up i'm gonna go to college and i'm gonna be a baseball player for the san francisco giants <laughs> and they they laughed at me yeah. and uh my uncle was like no you don't have a choice you're gonna be one of us he's like because uh, you're part of the family and uh that was my earliest um i guess experience as as far as being told that that's what i was going to become wow yeah. um let's see i have a tattoo by my eyes uh by my eye and i got that when i was uh 10 9 years old and it was it was like um basically it's your initial bonds it's what you are committing to committing your life to and uh was the, that taught to you were they like yeah hey you got to get this tattoo because so when you're growing up around it you uh you see a lot of people uh come and go mm -hmm. um and they come and go to your house come and go to your garage and uh every now and then you're a little kid and you walk in there even though you're told stay out right mm. and uh you're exposed to people drinking and just kind of hanging out and getting tattoos and mm -hmm. people are snor snorting some powder and stuff like that yeah. and you just kind of you know it becomes normal and you don't question it and you just know that that's you know what they do wow and um and so, yeah, it, it was taught because I was around many times when people were getting tattoos mm -hmm. and I was taught what certain tattoos represented, what they meant. Wow. Um, and and it gets ingrained into your mind because even now as 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 an adult, you know, I'm now 41 years old and I I'll see like some teenager with the tattoo and I'm like, you, you just know hmm. if they've earned it or if they just happen to get it. And oftentimes when they just happen to get something that they haven't earned um, later on in life, they're given the choice to either earn it now or, you know, it's going to come off one way or another. Wow. But it's something that gets dealt with. Oh my goodness. Um, so yeah. This, it sounds like you were, cause you grew up around it, people coming and going, this culture of, you know, we're all part of the gang. Um, it was caught rather than just taught. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure you learned some things directly, but you caught a lot of things by right. observing it and just right. it was part of the everyday routine. It was yeah. celebrated too. It was, it was. So in my family in particular, um, whenever one of, uh, it, it was mainly the men uh, that would go to prison and things like that. And when they would parole, when they would come home, um there was always a celebration there was always a party mm -hmm. and a lot of people would come and part of it was that you sell part of it that you were celebrating was that you know you missed them they were gone for a certain amount of time but the other part is that they survived this concrete jungle right mm -hmm. because um 
let's say, for example, the juvenile prisons, especially in the 90s, a lot of them got shut down now. But here in California, I mean, there was there was so many and there was a CYA, which um, I had been to as well. And they basically call them gladiator schools. Right. You go there and there's rules about everything. There's lines that you literally don't cross. Right. There's areas that you just don't go. And, and was that set up by the the prison guards or you're talking about these are the no. lines you don't cross because of the people inside that say you yeah. don't cross that line? Yeah. So the prison guards, they they, they basically have the, the basic uh, rules. Right. After nine o'clock, there's a bar lock where even the electric button won't open your door. You know, they have mm-hmm. to manually lock them. Um uh when you can and can't shower things like that those are all rules that the that the um system that's in place will will put down but there are other rules that the gangs and the groups set up so certain groups shower in certain groups and a lot of it is divided by race right so for example you have uh, certain hispanics and blacks that they ally together and they shower and use uh, uh, certain showers in mm. particular areas and the same thing with whites and other uh, hispanics they 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 will share showers and then the middle ones because the buildings are like a like a square right um, the middle ones, those are usually um, like neutral. And so you have uh, the groups that are called the others, which would be the um, other races, uh, East Indians, Native Americans, mm. thing, uh, groups like that. So, so um, it's a very racist um, segregation of it groups. is it is yeah. but it, it's not racism as you would imagine it out here mm. because for out ex- here outside it, of the bars it, yeah <laughs> outside of prison because um for example uh you have certain hispanic groups that are allied with um uh, uh supremacist groups white uh, supremacist groups and stuff like that and they you know have the tattoos all the symbols that you can relate to uh white supremacy and nazism and things yeah. like that and um but they're allies mm-hmm. so so it it there is the the racial element, element mm-hmm. but your allegiance and who you run with overrides, you know, your inner feelings towards mm-hmm. other groups. And for those listening and like, what? I can't believe we'll get into it. But Miguel knows what he's talking about because he's been there for a while. Right. Yeah. yeah the you've, the you've last time, time, the last time I was there for, uh, Four years and six months and out of those four years and six months about 80 percent of it was spent on lockdown um specifically i was in the shoe program uh shoe means security housing unit which is a, a straight lockdown people? huh for, for all the obedient people yeah all, <laughs> all the good kids <laughs> all the all the cool kids um and uh that time i was in there for uh 14 months and two weeks uh, I was sentenced to uh, 15 months in there um, for a stabbing assault mm. um, on on an unwanted inmate. Um, and uh, that, that's what I was there for. Wow. So before we learn about all that, why would people do all this to other human beings? And like, why? Why, why does get this, into gang culture? Why get, yeah. What yeah. is the pull? Like, we see that your uncles maybe celebrate the fact of like, you know, this is cool. It's cool to be hard and cool to be. I think part of it. So 
initially it's love. It's going to boil down to love, Mm -hmm. right? When you do studies on inmates, you're going to find the majority of it is focused on um, sociopaths, Mm -hmm. psychopaths, and identifying those traits, right? But what it's going to boil down to at the end of the day is um, there there is that element of psychopaths, right? Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, what it's going to boil down to is attachment issues, mm-hmm. um, absent fathers, and and mothers who are stressed out, mothers who are frustrated, and um, mothers who lack resources, lack opportunities, who probably have to work two jobs, and so you have kids who are being raised by kids and they um, so definitely there's attachment issues. There's, there's that void, right? You see attachment issues. And I love the fact that we're getting to interview you on this because you're not only a therapist, but you have this crazy background mm-hmm. that you can relate with these kids. Um, what, what, what do you mean by attachment issues? So when we talk about attachment issues is the it's typically the relationship between a child and parents um, and especially um, when attachment issues are developed. It's when there is a disruption or a distortion in the relationship between the child and the parents. And it's usually established within the first three years of birth. Um, and, and when you don't get things right within those first three years, then typically they say seven, but really it's the first three years when you don't get things right within those first three years, your child can come out and, and, and live a functional and good life. Right. Um, but when you don't get it right, they're more than likely going to grow up with some type of symptom trait of of a disorder Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean they'll have a full-on you know um, diagnosis or Mm -hmm. or meet the criteria of of a disorder but they will have something that they're struggling with a dysfunction of some sort yeah yeah Yeah. that'll interrupt their activities of daily living right that means like acting out acting out Mm mm-hmm aggression Mm -hmm. Aggression. depending on the age range right and 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 what we when you look at um, the past, like three to four generations, right? Let's say in the past century, you had uh, great grandfathers coming out of um, World War One, World War Two. You you had this really rigid way of thinking and structure. Now the world's changing; it's completely different, and it's to the point that we now have to think outside the box. The old ways didn't work. And we are seeing that with the children of the baby boomer, baby boomers, mm. you know, you get people that are 45, 50 years old and they're struggling with addictions. Mm-hmm. And typically when we think of addictions, we think automatically alcohol, uh, substance abuse. Right. But when you think of addiction in a bigger picture, mm-hmm. such as addiction to pornography, mm-hmm. sex addiction, uh, addiction, addiction to running, exercising, mm-hmm. workaholics, that's another form of addiction. You see a lot of workaholics. Right. And yeah. so then the question is, what happened in your life? What happened to you 
that you are immersing yourself into your work, into running that, you know, it's, it's your it? escape from reality, yeah. right? Because reality yeah. is too painful. Mm -hmm. And then once you start digging into their stories, then they, I, I would say probably 99% of the time, they're going to go back to a specific event of something that happened in their childhood. And then you dig a little bit deeper and there's resentment because the parents were either emotionally absent, mm -hmm. emotionally unsupportive, or they just weren't there. Yeah. They weren't physically or presently there. Mm. Would you say that was the case for you growing up that you had some attachment issues from early on? Definitely. Mm -hmm. Without question. I mean, in, in my life, um, there was this major disruption uh, with my mother. Um, there, I could probably count with one hand how many times we, we ever hugged, how many times I was told I was loved, things like that. Um, it, if anything, it was a flip side. You know, I was like six, seven years old and anything that I would do, just, I mean, not literally anything, but little things that I would do if I hugged a little cousin or something, um, my, my mother would be like, what are you doing? Like, are you gay? Wow. Like only gay people do things like that. And it's mm -hmm. like, what? Like I gave my little cousin a hug. What are you talking about? Wow. And are you gay? Tell me now. And, you know, yes. would say derogatory things to me. So it got to the point where I was even questioning my own sexuality. I was mm -hmm. like, man, I'm gay. And I didn't even know, you know, wow. <laughs> I say that jokingly, but that was the reality was huh. the, I was, I was literally like questioning, like, Am I like mm -hmm. what, what's going so on? Any sort of affection, physical or even verbal, was seen in a very like twisted for you, right? Mm -hmm. Right, made, like made you go into other areas of questioning. Well, like everything, uh, you know, I came from a background where it, it was kind of weird because on one side it was like you don't talk about sex at all. You know, it was just taboo. That's something that, you know, that nobody does. And, you know, it's just this really big, deep, dark secret. Right. And then on the other side, there was the 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 side of the family that everything was sexual. Mm -hmm. everything i mean you walk you walked up to a table and if there was adults i mean people were cracking sexual jokes i mean and anything and everything was on the table like in know? a healthy way or was it more of a derogatory open sexuality uh, a little bit of both more on the derogatory yeah. open sexuality mm -hmm. um i i can remember a time uh sitting on the front yard um uh probably about 12 years old smoking a cigarette with a couple of my aunts and they're over there talking about the sex acts that they like to do wow. and their own kids would be like, listen to yourself. Like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're talking like a whore and well, you, you guys are a bunch of little whores and that's how oh that's what goodness. they would talk to us. Yeah. Wow. So very, very hard sort of upbringing and, and right. very much good modeling at well, all. It sounds you. like you were calloused to what was derogatory and what was healthy. Like, well, at the time we didn't know. You like, didn't know. So yeah. I grew up. So some, some of the people that helped raise me were one of them in particular. He was a pimp, you know? Mm. And so for example, if like I legit. had a legit pimp, <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, sex trafficker is a new term. Wow. So if I had a girlfriend and I got her to buy me a gold necklace, he would be like, 
Yeah, but you got her to buy you a gold necklace on your birthday, dude. He's like, you got to get get them to buy you whatever you want on any given day. Mm. He's like that takes finesse. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So oh, it was goodness. like, and you this know, was young. This was like, 12, yes, this 13, is 12, 13 years old, Ooh. you know. Um, wow. And so that that was the upbringing. So this was your normal. That was my normal. Yeah. It was like, hey, uh, you know, I, I lived with ants um, since the age of of 12 more 11 12 i've lived with 12 different families about 12 13 different families um i was in group homes things like that Mm. and so at any given time i've lived with almost all of my aunts um on yeah i've lived with all of my aunts except one on my dad's side and i've lived with two or three on my mom's side Mm. um and so if you wanted to bring a girl home, you know, mm-hmm. hey, you know, can I can I bring my girlfriend over tonight? You know, you had an aunt. You got condoms? Yes. Okay. As long as no one uh, gets pregnant, it's fine. Uh, that that was the upbringing, you know. So so with this kind of upbringing, where you were going from home to home, there was no um, secure attachment with parental figures, and you know, there's just this. Um, really lack of structure um, probably it bred a lot of anxiety in you I would imagine yeah but the anxiety that it would bring up was uh, presented more in the form of anger okay. and irritability ah, mm. yeah and so so you had that going on the one hand when did it become apparent to you that gang culture could solve some of this for you We'll be right back to the interview, but first we wanted to share something that we are really excited about. So you know we all have those times where we don't feel super connected to our spouse and we really don't know what conversations to have to get us to that connected place. And then on top of that, we're so busy that we don't prioritize those conversations. And that's why we created the monthly live date night. And monthly live date night is every month on a Friday night for 90 minutes, 60 minutes. We focus on a topic that uh, you guys pick and then 30 minutes we do a Q&A and it's live where we're all together asking questions and giving answers on topics related to your marriage, your intimacy. And we share tools. Uh, We have handouts that we call homework because we want you to be there to listen and to soak in, but we really want you to take action in your marriage too. So come join us live for the next monthly live date night. Check the link in the show notes for dates and details. All right, back to the interview. I don't think that I actually made that connection. Okay. Um, uh, as a teenager, as a child, I don't, I never made that connection. It was something that you just kind of like you enjoyed and, and, you know, you, you felt something that you weren't feeling at home. Right. And what the gang culture does, um, these are, and you got to remember, these are very brilliant people, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people think, oh, they're all in prison. They must be dumb. They're dumb criminals. These people are brilliant. You got inmates who are gang leaders and have like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in their inmate account. You know, these these are brilliant people. Wow. Um, and what you made me aware of is a lot of them want almost to be there. It's not like something they they're trying to avoid. I think it gets to the point because I remember um, I remember sitting in my cell and I was looking around and I was like. I could do this. I could do it for the rest of my life. 
because when you get a taste of the power, the respect, you know, um, and just the love that you get. Right. And you had a bit of power in, in prison. I, I started going up in the ranks. And so what happened was when I would get into some trouble and I would uh, get transferred to another prison, there was already there was there was uh, situations where my reputation preceded me. Mm. And when I got there, it was like, yeah, this is the homie. You know, he's down. And, you know, you get to a place where you're literally um, like in the shoe program. You're literally in there in just your boxers and a T-shirt and flip flops. You get there with nothing. And then someone slides you a bag of coffee and tobacco under your door, you know, as a welcoming gift. You're like, man, this person loves me because you literally get nothing and have nothing. You know, you have to learn how to hustle. You have to maybe have family that's willing to send you stuff. But in the shoe program and and in administrative segregation, all that gets taken away. Mm-hmm. So you have to like rebuild from scratch. Yeah. And when you get a gift like that and and you assume that, you know, it's with nothing in return, they're not expecting anything in return. Then you're like, yeah, you know, they love me, mm-hmm. you know, wow. because the little things are. I, I remember when I turned 19 years old, I was up in um, Susanville um, and in prison. in prison and my um, my gang, we were on lockdown. And they would let us out for an hour as a group to get our showers and exercise and things like that. And somebody, I don't even know who, uh, let everybody know it was my birthday. So they pulled out this big old plastic garbage bag and everybody just started loading up their their uh, noodle packets on a table and they start breaking them up. Someone busted out some beans and, you know, rice and they put it all in there. They filled it up with water. They cooked it. They literally I had never seen it. They literally sang happy birthday to me, you know, and right there in prison. Wow. You know, we're on lockdown. We don't know when we're coming out. It's like crazy stuff happening literally saw someone get killed like two days before and here they were singing me happy birthday on my 19th birthday that's something i'll never forget you know um a whole bunch of hardened criminals that you could look up to that are all like you 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 probably like want to be like them and in a sense they're singing you happy birthday and celebrating the fact that you're there with them yeah Mm. it was love you know it was love you felt that love and that meant a lot what does that say about families? What could families do better than like with these experiences, how, how that's like drilled into your memory. You must not have received that at home for right. it. To right. Be so, and, and the know. thing is, the thing is it, I, I, it, I really believe that that is not very uncommon. I, I actually think that the people, the kids that do get love at home, that they're actually the outliers. Because a lot of people don't know how to express their love, you know, and it's the whole reason why when we're doing couples counseling, we tell people, hey, go do the test of, you know, what's what's your love language? Mm -hmm. Because people don't know how to express love. And a lot of people don't know how to receive love. You know, you give someone a compliment, they're like, oh, yeah, stop it. They try to deflect and draw attention away. And it's like receive it yeah. you know get it girl that's <laughs> you, you got the compliment take it that's that's yeah. all you and yeah. and and i think that 
what happens is the parents, as we're raising kids, we're, we're ultra focused. The men are ultra focused on I'm the protector. I'm the provider mm -hmm. and the women are, I'm the nourisher. Right. And so make sure you eat your, your peas and, and this and that. And they become super focused on that. Mm -hmm. We become super focused on make your bed because some dude made a YouTube video about at the end of the day, you have a, a, a bed that's made to get into bed in. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're like, make your bed, make your bed. Kids ignoring us. They want to play because what kid doesn't want to play. Right. And then we're over here all stressed out. Like, oh. is there something wrong with my kid? Because they don't listen. I told them to make their bed and they're not listening. So then what do we do? You know, we turn to we either look up a therapist and fix my kid <laughs> or we're over there like, you know, there's parents that they believe in spanking mm -hmm. and they take it too far. Mm -hmm. There's parents that, you know, go to your room then. You know, don't come out until you clean this room. So it's just basically rules and discipline, rules and discipline. And that's the hyper focus. And then providing for the family so they have right. a roof over their head. And that's love to a lot of parents, but that's not how a child is receiving love. It's not. What the message that it's telling the child is you don't love me unless I unless I make the bed, yeah. then you're not gonna love me. So your love is conditional. So then what happens is a kid, the child ends up um, developing coping skills mm -hmm. that can be unhealthy mm -hmm. and they decide, well, I'm going to stay in my room then. Yeah. I don't need this. Yeah. Or you raise children that are people pleasers. And later on, that's an attachment issue. And that mm -hmm. comes out in their relationships, in their in their jobs mm -hmm. and things like that. How could parents better balance? Because we know that that discipline without love, there's a lot of problems, but then love without discipline and there's a lot of problems. In right. That. How do we balance that? Well, I think balance is the key, right? Mm -hmm. It's and, and everything in life has to be balanced. I think that asking ourselves, how important is this? And it's not about compromising everything that you believe, but it's also about like showing and teaching. Right. Um, I'll give you an modeling, example. Maybe. Modeling this 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 week. Um, I, I actually had to ground my youngest and I told her um, that I was taking her iPad away. Right. And um, and she was upset and, and I was like, that's OK. You're you're it's OK to get mad at daddy. I think I would get I would get mad at my daddy if he took my iPad away, too. Mm -hmm. I'm like, so, you know, um, and experience that anger, you know, just make sure that your reaction to your anger isn't, you know, inappropriate or disrespectful. Yeah, so you're teaching her through her emotion. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I I followed it up. I ended it with this. I said. There's a positive side, though, to being grounded. <laughs> and she's like, there is. And I said, yeah. I said, the positive side of me grounding you is now we get even more time to spend together. <laughs> and so it's the whole reverse instead of yeah. because that's what horses do. That's what, mm -hmm. uh, you know, animals do is that they when there is an animal in the herd and it's not acting right. They, they isolate it mm. and that horse better come back with its head bowed and humbled if he wants to be, if he wants to rejoin the group. Right. 
And we, we tend to do that when we're sending the kid to the corner and we're sending our children to their room because of an unwanted behavior. What we're doing is we're telling them you're out, you're out of the family Uh, until you get right. Isolation. That's isolation. Yeah. (sighs) And see, that's where gangs go wrong Mm -hmm. because gangs oftentimes have really strict, rigid rules. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's this influx of love at the beginning and then there's a work that you have to put in because the majority of gangs operate kind of like on a on a socialist system right is that we're all equal and we all put into it right Mm -hmm. and so every soldier has their purpose right and as long as you operate within your purpose you will do well but the moment that you stop operating, then there's an imbalance. Right. Hmm. And and the thing with gangs is that the ri- they're, they're so rigid on the rules that when you mess up, you mess up, you get whacked. Well, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of a joke, but that's what a lot of them say. Yeah. And they end up um, w- when you cross certain lines in gangs, there's no return. Mm-hmm. That's it. And that's a that's a big reason why there's been such changes in the gang world, especially in California, um, because of the rigidness of the of the rules. So then you have rebellions, you have new gangs that are springing up Mm -hmm. and then they become enemies. You see that a lot in relationships with parents, Mm -hmm. children who they dread seeing their mother, dread seeing their their parents and stuff. They love them. Mm -hmm. There's love there. But they dread it, you know, Um, and 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 here's the thing that. When the body feels something right. You have your implicit memory and your explicit memory, right? Implicit memory, it's usually related to the memory that your body feels. So when you feel something, you're you're probably never because that memory is going to be there. You're never going to let it go. It might change over time. Right. Just like pain, you lose a pain of losing a child, a pain of things that happen in life. I just told a client recently, the pain's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. You're always going to have it. It's just never going to it's it's not always going to be the same. Yeah. And so that's what happens with love. And there's a lot of people that they in within their gang family. There's that initial love and everything, but then the rigidness of the rules is what drives a lot of gang members away. Mm. Rigidness of rules within a home is what drives children away, mm. especially when parents lie to their kids, when parents um, are manipulative. And, and we see that all the time. We see it a lot. What do you think the definition of manipulative is? Just so people can ask the question, am I being manipulative? I think it has to do with intentions. When when one person is trying to get someone else to act or behave in a certain way, but they do it with with malice, with with the with a bad intention. Right. Because we all want our kids to behave and act a certain way. Sure. Right. Um, but sometimes what we're doing is that we're robbing our kids from their own authenticity. Mm -hmm. And that is important for them to grow up, to be themselves. And, and I know myself, I've, I've made a lot of parenting mistakes when, when a kid, when a kid is being, being funny, you know, you have to ask yourself, why is my child acting this way right now? What is the situation? And there are situations it calls for, hey, let me talk to you really quick. And, you know, right now is not the time. But 
robbing kids of their authenticity, then what they're doing is that they're ultimately suppressing their emotions. They're suppressing their own thoughts later on in life. You, it's no wonder at all why they're not assertive, why they put their own feelings to the side. And, and I think in, in our society, even though it's an individualistic society, right? We have, um, we have really um, glamorized selflessness and, and, and while selfishness can be an ugly thing, but at the same time, when you put everybody's needs before your own mm-hmm. and, and you're so unhappy, ultimately that ends up affecting your own lifespan. Right. You know, so it can't be a complete selflessness can't be a good thing either. Well, and the Bible says so. <laughs> you know, I think we glamorize selflessness in Christianity, but the Bible said, love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Well, then if you're not supposed to have any self-love, then how are you supposed to love your neighbor? Exactly. Right. Exactly. If you're not treating yourself well. Exactly. Then then that that commandment doesn't apply, right? Yeah. Right. Because you would just treat your neighbor. No, I don't have the bad. I don't have the research, um, the the reference off the top of my head. But it, you can reduce your lifespan by about 10 to 20 years by uh, it shows that people who are constantly putting others ahead of themselves and don't speak up for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas people who who at least speak up for themselves and share their unhappiness. Mm-hmm. It doesn't affect them as much, mm-hmm. you know, and so it, that is one thing that I think needs to change yeah. if we're having an honest conversation yeah. with our with our kids we need to allow them to enjoy things and to be children it, uh and there's human. Yeah, yeah yeah i think one of the, one of the things that um has happened with the prior generations is that you know the whole stories of walking five miles in the snow when i was a kid what we've done is we've tried to elevate ourselves for our own shortcomings and we're ingraining that in our children, but we're at, we're ultimately damaging them. Mm-hmm. And children were they were for the most part growing up too fast mm-hmm. with technology. They're growing up way too fast, right? Um, and so th- it goes back to balance. There has to be a balance. There has to be um, a, a balance on rules mm-hmm. and on love and and how we parent. I think we need to think outside the box. So mm-hmm. good, so good. Yeah. Well. I want to keep hearing the story. So <laughs> let me give you an example. Yeah. Um, I, what, what I was talking about when I said we have to remember that these people are brilliant, yes. right? Gang leaders, right? So when you're, I'd say when, when you're uh, between the ages of eight to about 12, you're a peewee. And what the older, the, the vets, if you will, is what they call them, veteranos, is what they do is that they watch the kids. They show up to the hood, they're hanging out and, and they're watching everybody and they're very observant and they watch the little kids. They call them over and, and they'll, they'll show them love. Mm-hmm. They'll show them love. And your mom may tell you, you stay away from those dudes. You know, you stay away from that. But for they're, kids, you don't have fathers. Right. Right. Yeah. But even the ones with fathers, you tell them, you stay away from those guys. They're bad news. 
but those guys treat you right. Oh. Right. And so what those guys do is that they're watching these kids, they're observing them. They pick up on characteristics. They pick up on the things that they like. They actually become invested in the child's life and kind in like the drafting somebody. <laughs> yes. They become invested in the child's world. And that's where even where they give them the names where they really? get nicknames and they try to pick something that fits them. Right. Mm. And so then or the child them up. Right. And they're like, wow. Yeah. He sees that. In and it's yeah. endearing. Yeah. It's endearing. So all this stuff, it's yeah. positive. The child's so, getting identity, belonging. And, and then he goes home and messes up on a math problem and he's called stupid. Mm-hmm. He's called an idiot. He's yelled at. You know, and these guys treat me with respect. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And these guys don't hit you mm-hmm. because there is there is that whole idea of jumping in. But if you ask a lot of the older, the, the OGs and stuff like that, none of them were jumped in. They're like, we started this thing. This is our hood. You ain't going to jump me into my own hood. Mm. So the 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 idea of jumping in, that was more of a uh, of a. um 80s and 90s for those who don't know what is jumping in mean and jumping in is uh for example if you're gonna join a gang um they'll get a group of like five five or more guys depends but usually about five um to jump you to to beat you for a certain amount of time (laughs) um and sometimes they'll do it for depending on your gang 13 14 seconds but those are some long seconds Mm -hmm. you know and and you have to fight about five guys to prove your heart, to prove like the, the, you know, that you're willing to fight. Um, so that's the case for some people. Right. But a lot of people, that's, that's not how they for, for, uh, for some people. It's like, no, I, I grew up in this, you know, I, don't, you I, know, belong, I, here. I belong here. The, wow. This is just the way it is. And then, got my tattoo. And then there's and some, there's some that they have to, that they're, they're given an option okay. and it's like, Hey, you know, you uh, got to do a drive by or, or, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Wow. Um, and so here's another thing about about the OGs with kids where we um, kind of want to focus on children is that um, when there are businesses in your neighborhood, right? So certain gangs, they charge businesses, every business that's in the neighborhood, whether it's prostitution, drug dealing, um, thieves, people that steal and make money. Everybody has to pay a certain amount to the gang, right? Um, and it's always 10%. It's a tithe. Um, yeah, they have to pay their tithe. And um, and so businesses, uh, corner liquor stores have to also pay. When they don't pay, then they send the little kids, eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, to go and spray paint on their on their walls to break their windows until the business owner starts paying and they'll send someone in there and be like this is going to keep on happening until you pay and so they end up paying it and the kids get stuff get money out of that too Mm. kids kids are riding around on bikes you know in their neighborhood with walkie talkies well at the Mm. time was walkie talkies now it's probably cell phones but they would have walkie talkies and they would alert when cops are turning down the street, you know? And so that's how people would so avoid. They feel helpful. They feel they purposeful. Feel, yeah. Wow. They're being, and, they're being used for the family's purpose and oh, we could learn a lot from they're, that. They're protecting what's theirs. Yeah. They're there. And so not only is there the element that now you're getting paid 
and you see, oh, I have money. Mm-hmm. You know, mom's always stressed out over money and now I'm making money. Mm-hmm. Now you feel that you're you can also be a contributor to mm-hmm. your situation. Right. You're helping protect the people that love you. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to direct gang stuff, you know, when someone hurts your family, mm-hmm. then you're going to want to get back at them. Yeah. So then when you hear that my best friend that I went to kindergarten with, his older brother was shot or killed by this other group who I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Never met them, never talked to them. Those guys, but step they're in. from, they're from that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Then, then it's on wow. for now on. That's the enemy. Yeah. And so the loyalty. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how enemies unite people, right? Right. So those guys are the ones who killed my cousin. So, and these guys are the ones that are going to stick up for that and work toward avenging that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think those are concepts that we can bring in, turn them into a healthy thing. Sure. Not, not as far as retaliation, right. but what unites us as families, yeah. what unites us in churches That's and things like question. that, Purpose. you know? Right. Yeah. Purpose, being able to contribute because you got kids that are eight years old and they're already being used. Mm-hmm. And 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 when they see their older cousins, when they see their older brothers, they look up to them and they, and they see that they're willing to die for this, mm-hmm. you know, and so they become invested. That's good. And, and I think that's one of the things that is missing because a lot of parents focus on when you turn 18. You know, you're out of here. Mm-hmm. I did my job. Mm-hmm. What's the message we're telling the adolescent? Yeah. I really didn't want you here. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then later on, we're over there crying. Why don't you bring the grandchildren? You know, why don't you come around? Why don't you talk to me? Yeah. Well, there's a reason. It's not, it's no wonder at all. And that didn't start when they were 17. That started when they were three. Yeah. That's when all the attachment issues, you start seeing the fruit of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So you were young. You started probably were spray painting buildings and throwing rocks. Uh, was there a defining moment where, where you're like, now you're in the gang or you're older? Or you're No, there wasn't like a specific moment because I was always just there. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it, it was my family. It was it was something that just happened mm-hmm. and was an ongoing happening thing. So like, when did for, you want to define yourself then? Because like everybody wants to become something more like this is my identity. Okay. Well, let's, let's go big or go home. So there was a, a there was a specific cousin that paroled. Um, and he was actually the pimp. He was part of the, um, he was, he was a, a gang member, but his, I guess the way you can define him, his whole purpose was he was a pimp. That's how he made his money. That's how he defined to this day, defines himself, wow. things like that. Um, and when he paroled, I, I was living with my grandmother and then um, she was moving out and nobody told me. So one day I just like went home and everybody was just like a couple cousins were there and they were moving her stuff out. And I don't even know where she was moving to. And I was like, I guess I don't have nowhere to live now, you know, going back to couch surfing. Mm. And um, he turned to me and he's like, you're moving in with me and my mom. I was like, okay. And he had just been out a couple months. And that guy was the one who like just 
every day was like a training on 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 survival prison gangs just mm-hmm. what you know and and even even being uh he taught me to just be aware of the manipulation and and how the prison politics works and things like that mm-hmm. so before you ever got to prison right you were being trained on how to operate i was actually in a prison, in a prison with an older cousin and we were all we, we were waiting for our turn we were teaming up to play handball and um and then we started playing and i remember we we were beating a lot of people i was, I was pretty good at handball <laughs> and then um and then uh he started talking about when um it was before city sac city college did their um uh, they changed some of the stuff over there by the um tennis courts they had handball courts mm. And he's like, we were preparing you for this. He's like, remember when we'd go and play handball at Sac City? He's like, that was the whole point. This is what we were preparing you for. Prison. Yeah. Oh my and so God. now, years later, um, when I talked with them, they, they said, uh, that one in particular, he said, we all knew that one day you were going to end up going. <laughs> he's like, so... It was our job to prepare you and try wow. to, you know, so that you would be led right and, and make the right decisions. Wow. So our families are in a war. Mm-hmm. How many parents are training their kids for that battle? You to none. Mm-hmm. I think the parents that are actively trying and don't realize it to to that extent are the ones who are struggling with their kids and they end up taking them to therapy and they're learning tools to try to connect with them and things like that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, a majority of parents are not connecting. They're not even getting into their kid's world. Mm-hmm. The parental approach is usually come over here. How was your day? How was school? Who'd you hang out with? What's your friend's name? When you do that, your kid feels like they like they're getting the third degree. Yeah. Right. Interrogated. And then you're you're pulling them out of their world. Mm-hmm. And you should go into their room, sit with them, chill, get to know them. Yeah. You know, what are you playing? What's this video game about? Even if you're not interested, even if it's if you think it's the dumbest mm-hmm. video game in the world, <laughs> but get in there and and start like just talking about what they're doing like oh you know what's that character do what's his superpower and you would be surprised how kids they light up they start Mm -hmm. talking about because they're like wow you're interested in what i'm doing right and that's what the ogs did for you that's that's exactly what they did Mm -hmm. and that's what they do they still do it i remember working with you it's been a couple years now um on a case where your client was i think what nine or 10, 11. And he was already being groomed for gangs. And he was talking about career paths. And, and I was just like floored that his idea of a career path was being a shot caller. That's what he wanted to do in a gang. And, um, how, how would you say that relates to, and we, you were like trying to like normalize this for us and like you know, educate us on this. But um, yeah, I was like, just floored. How, how would you say that applies to um, parenting? We're going to get right back to the episode, but we wanted to share something really quick with you. We have been married for almost 13 years and we have had the same dinnerware and silverware and glasses um, since we got married on from our registry. Yeah. So we have been looking around to buy some new dinnerware. And um, 
then Lennox approached us to uh, share some stuff with you guys. Yeah, so we recently received their French Pearl Scallop uh, dinnerware, which is gorgeous. It's a gorgeous collection of um, din- dinnerware that's crafted of porcelain. And we also received their high quality crystal glasses. Yeah, I've been trying to get rid of our old glasses for a long time. Yes. <laughs> and so if you haven't upgraded your dinnerware since you got married and you've been married for a while, or maybe you're newlyweds and you haven't completed your collection, we highly recommend Lennox. So you can go to lennox.com today to purchase and you can use our code DYMC to save 20% on your order. Well, in the sense of parenting, I think that what we have to do is we have to get role models ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Because one of the things is that with with access to the internet comes a lot of access to so many different things, right? Mm-hmm. And so everything is a learning experience. Yeah. It just matters whether it's a positive or a negative learning experience. Mm-hmm. And our kids are learning a lot of things and they see when they are not dumb. They're actually very smart and they can see when their parents are speaking ignorantly. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we have to be careful about that. And when you glamorize, you know, nothing against nothing against elders. I love elders. I love sitting and talking with them. But I think that there's again, balance is going to be the key because there are so many people that will go and glamorize some old senile person who has never done anything in their life, anything positive, Mm -hmm. anything that that is worthy of note. But what a lot of parents do, they're like, well, that was my dad and that was my mom, Mm -hmm. you know, and and what we have to do, I think what we what we should do and what we could do is get people that we look up to ourselves mm-hmm. and and not glamorize it but normalize it sure right yeah because i mean we've seen what we do with with people when we glamorize them and then they end up messing up yeah and then you know mm-hmm. it's like then that's that's a really uh, a, a big time killer for kids sure right so i think to get like what you're saying is these um not just career paths, but life pursuits. Yeah. Um, bring them into this child's world so that they that, that it's normalized. So right. They look at these options and go, "I want to be like that." Well, because you probably knew shot callers, right? Like, and and the yeah. thing about the the thing about with shot callers is that they encourage you to go to school. They encourage you to read. Hmm. I mean, they they when you're on lockdown, when you're on lockdown, talk about the development process that you've told me about okay. of like, I feel like so much of us could get intentional like you were like, like those people said, like, if you want to be this, you got mm, to apply yourself. Right. You were groomed. Yeah. Okay. So it goes back to the whole, every soldier has his purpose, right. And, and operating within your purpose, they watch you and they, they, they see things in certain people if you're just some knucklehead that likes to hit, kick it on someone's porch and point out when the rival gang is driving down your street and you want to go and start something, then that's what they would refer to as torpedoes. And torpedoes are just launched and they're used, you know? So it's like, hey, go handle this, go do that. And you're a torpedo. You don't question it. You just go and you do what you're told, right? 
when you show when they see in you the 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 you're smart you know um that you want more mm-hmm then they'll talk to you. They'll, they'll pull you to the side and, Hey, are you, are you interested in more education? Mm. Literally, wow. you know? And, and one of the things that the, in, in the gang that I was a part of in that particular gang is they glamorize education. Hmm. You know, they're like, don't be dumb. Don't, don't, don't be dumb. Don't be ignorant. Um, in, in my particular gang on the streets. Yeah. People would cuss and things like that. But we had a rule that we didn't cuss, hmm. you know, you didn't, you just didn't talk that way. Cause you were intelligent people yeah, and you wanted yeah. to be perceived as because such. we, so there was a whole, you know, buy a tow truck. When, when have you seen a tow truck getting pulled over? You never see tow trucks get pulled over. Right. So it's like the perfect scam, you know, so they're <laughs> like people get tow trucks. Um, so they tell you, they, they give you a lot of business ideas and things to do. Right. And, okay. and it's all illegal. Right. Mm-hmm. But they also want you to be able to blend in and become a speaker for like groups like Mecha and La Raza and things like that. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, they're the the people that are pulling those strings are people that are connected hmm. and so there there's the whole there's the whole um i guess the mainstream of la raza and mecha and things like that and then there's the people that are you know in the separate rooms and talking and, and trying to get their policies and get wow. their ideas out there wow. you know um and so they put into you Right. They put into you to aspire for more, you know, Um, uh, one of one of one of our um, basic bonds was um, uh, and I'll paraphrase it just to change it a little bit. um, But it was every member shall strive for better education, respect and social status of equality. And that go includes and goes beyond any benefits and incentives entitled to inmates or regular citizens. Hmm. Right. So they they really they're like when you parole, you need to you're going to keep contact. Right. But they they want you to get into school, enroll in school. They want you to start a business and they tell you everything that you need to do. They equip you and, and the people that you need yeah. to go and talk to wow. and where to go. Right. Hmm. And they're like, it doesn't matter if it's a hot dog stand outside of the courthouse. Okay. You know, it's not just illegal business. Right. Right. Okay. But, but at the end of the day, even if it's a legal business, it becomes illegal because then it's connected to Gang the organization. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so they, they actually put into you like, you know, you, you can keep on coming back in. But where we really need you is out there. Hmm. We needed you to be a contact. We need you to do this. You're you're a channel, right? Mm-hmm. And so when they don't see that in you, oh, they they're not gonna care. Yeah. You go out there, you're gonna mess up, you'll be back in less than a month, mm-hmm. right? And you're just another soldier yeah. for the next riot. And that's it. So at what point, Miguel, for those eager ears who are listening, at what point did you decide? I have to disconnect myself. I mean, because you had so much belonging, you were working your way up. Take us now to kind of the victory of the story. I was a little bit, I was actually disappointed because I did uh, go up in the the ranks and there's this whole 
philosophy, there's this whole idea, right? The cause and what you're willing to die for. And the cause was the gist of it was, you know, you're, you should be willing to kill and die for your people. Right. And, and everything that you do should be for the betterment of your people and the benefit of your people. When I parode, I was an active gang member and, um, there was things that I wanted to do things, uh, things that I wanted to take things to the next level. And the, a lot of the people that, um, that should have been willing to, they were at one time leaders themselves were just kind of doing the same thing and had no aspirations. Whereas I really bought into it. Mm. I really loved it. I really, I was like, this is it. This is what I'm willing to kill and die for. And, and it was a disillusionment when I realized that some of those people were just in it for power. Wow. You know, they're not really ready to, they aren't willing to die for the betterment of the people. I think at one time they were, but then it became about themselves. Mm. Right. And it became a selfish thing. And then I found myself doing some of the things that they were doing Mm. and I was using the younger homies and things like that. I, I was over there um, just being the uh, a manipulator, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and being selfish and, mm-hmm. and, and just kind of uh, not, it, it wasn't about my people anymore, even though mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that, that was the cause. That was the idea. It was more for myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I was justifying it because they, they had done stuff that was dirty and you know because for example one of the main rules is you know you don't mess with another uh another homeboy's wife right Mm -hmm. um and it has to be someone who's clicked up who's a part of it not just a claimer well you have people doing life in prison their wives are cheating on them and here's this kid that you know commits his crime for the first time but happened to sleep with your wife and and now you know he has to lose his life potentially Mm. you know and it's like why this kid didn't even know any better he you know like so did you start seeing the injustice in all of that i saw the injustice and 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 i was also being i I was also being uh i guess um dirty it was about power Mm -hmm. right because i loved when you know, yeah, I, I was I was young and, and I'd have people that were, you know, in their 40s telling me, you tell me what to do and I'll do it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'll, I'll, I'll lay my life down for you. You yeah. just tell me what you need. And that makes you feel good. It gets to your head like you're like, yeah, I got power, you know. And so um, that is that and being disappointed and just being like. Like you guys ain't really down. Like here's our opportunity to like really do something big and you guys are all scared. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time I was going to church and, uh, I just, I just kind of wanted to (laughs) prove to my grandma and my aunt that I was going to try to be good, you know? And, and I, I started going to church and then when you got, got out. Yeah. And then I just kept on going to church and next thing you know, I was like, part part time I was you know living it up and then I always made sure that I went to service and <laughs> next thing you know I was like man I need to get right with God I need to uh, turn this around so wow. did you read a lot of the bible in, in I prison? did I, I I read the bible um cover to cover five times 
I read the Quran cover to cover five times, the in Book prison. of Mormon. Yeah. I'm oh like, my goodness. I, I've, I read a lot of stuff. Um, mm. But it was one of those things um, because a lot of gang members and gang leaders read the Bible and they tell you, you know, you want to be a good leader, read this book. So, the principles, um, the character yeah, traits. Yeah. They want all that yeah. in, their, in their posse. And I mean, the reality is that when people talk about the Bible, um, a lot of times they, they get a listening audience. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. So then you... Um, you decided I got to get right with God and you disconnected. Yeah. I completely walked away, turned my life 100% on. She's on that. Prayer, right? Yeah. Um, usually when people walk away from gangs and they try to change uh, their life, um, they don't move far away. They don't, you know, you, you got to almost completely take on a new identity. Mm-hmm. You got to change the way you you speak. You got to change everything, the way you dress, you know, your appearance. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just can't get there. Mm-hmm. A lot of people there, um, what holds them back is families because gang culture, a lot of it, mm-hmm. uh, family is a part of it, right. you know. So yeah. walking away means you literally walk away, turn your back on family. Yeah. Yeah. And you had to do that. I did. Yeah. But that was the that. only way really you were going to get free. Yeah. And live a wholesome life. Yeah. Yeah. And thank God, like we've watched you come a long way from, I mean, we knew you after you were in church. Mm-hmm. Um, tell about really that unique experience in the courthouse that, that we were able to be a part of. Yeah. So, um, man, what year was that? Was that 2015? It was a few years back. Was it? Yeah. 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 So um, I applied for a certificate of rehabilitation. And uh, what that is, is uh, expunging your um, your criminal uh, record. So it doesn't delete it. But what it does is that when they run your background, it does show you have felonies and, you know, been to prison. But it also says that you've gone through a court process to um to get your you're basically rehabilitated you're you know you you fixed what you had done wrong in the past mm-hmm. um and there are about a hundred thousand applications each year um and only about 30 of them go through the complete process and only about 15 of them are actually granted so what it requires is that you need um, a certain amount of time that you have been paroled Mm -hmm. you have to do some community work you have to be a um a uh, taxpayer basically showing proving Mm -hmm. that you're a good citizen yeah and and um it it was quite an experience i remember that um the the attorney which was a public defender she um, was a little worried because the judge has a reputation for being strict and just denying, denying the. And you the, had some bad uh, felonies. on Right. Record. Right. My record, um, it, it, it was for a shooting. Um, and and in Sacramento, they treat shootings like they do uh, sex crimes mm-hmm. in Sacramento. They don't like them. The, the courts, judges, uh, juries, they don't like them at all. Yeah. And so. um he actually made some comments and he said that he wasn't going to sign it 
But then when he read my story and he read, you know, the things that I've done to mm-hmm. change things around and how I've helped people and yeah. things like that, he he said then, you know, he's like, I already signed it. It was already oh, signed. Yes. Which was an answer to prayer because I remember you had, I think you had been through school to become a, a therapist. Mm-hmm. Or you were in school. You were or in school. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get your license mm-hmm. was that with that. Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's it was incredible. Yeah. That was really and neat. so now, Miguel, you are a husband of how many years? A uh, husband of 17 years. 17 years. Uh, You're a father of three. Mm-hmm. How, how old are your kids? Um, I have a 15 year old, a, uh, my, I'll call her 13 year old. She's turning 13 on Sunday and I have a nine year old. Wow. So they're all of their birthdays are coming up. So they're on their tail end of those, okay. those ages. <laughs> yeah. Three kids. You are a successful therapist. I try to be. (laughs) (laughs) And you're a minister. You're Mm -hmm. an author. You Mm -hmm. penned a book about this story. Mm -hmm. And you're in a PhD program to get Mm -hmm. your doctorate in psychology. Yeah. And it's just so incredible to watch what God has done in your life and the impact you've made on so many other lives. Yeah. Yeah. He works in some uh, hard areas. There's yeah. some very difficult places yeah. making a difference. And we know that, and I've seen that you've worked really hard to do this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much respect for yes. what you've done. And in spite of all that yeah. craziness yeah. at the beginning. So that's just proof that anybody listening can really do something with their life, even with a crazy background. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love it. That's it's reconciliation and it's, um, you know, it's grace yeah. and yeah. it's resilience. I love seeing that. Yeah. Um, so, what would be some book recommendations uh, or resources that you would give folks who are listening when they say, I want to establish greater connection in my family. I want to build this oh. sense of, you know, loyalty and um, responsibility in my kids, but also, you know, this connection and unity in my family. Um. Yeah, there's a book on my shelf i believe it's called uh it's by gabor mate he's a he's a physician um well you can give us the um title if you don't remember right now we can add it to the show notes okay yeah because it's somewhere along the lines of why you should matter more than your children's friends or something like that okay um but yeah i'll i'll look it up what other books have made a difference in your life Oh man, there's just too many to, to, to list. How many did you read in prison alone? (laughs) Within the first six months, I had already read like 900 novels. I've read so (laughs) many different books. Um, Let's see. Definitely. Well, there's, there's a couple that I don't want to mention because of the author's recent stuff, but um. I mean, without question, the Bible um, and um, man's search for meaning, Viktor Frankl. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, that that has been very big. Um, You kind of put me on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. We'll we'll link man's search for meaning. And then the other book um, that you referenced, once you get the title, we'll put that in the show notes. All right, as we come to a close, um, we are going to close with you the way we close with all of our guests, and that's by doing our Dear Young Married Couple letter. 
So rewind back to your first few years of marriage and think about advice that you wish you would have received and then fill in the blank. Dear young married couple. All right. Dear young married couple uh, for the husbands. Slow down. Enjoy your wife. (laughs) um, And. Be there, be present for your wife, be Mm -hmm. present um, to her needs and uh, help her out when the kids come Mm -hmm. because uh, motherhood stress, especially I would say motherhood stress, especially affects the children. Mm -hmm. It gets projected. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, if you're a young couple, I'd say take your time, slow down, enjoy each other. And then during pregnancy, do whatever you can so that mom is not stressed. Because even during pregnancy, um, the placenta will get full of stress hormones and that gets that gets passed on to the child. Yeah. So I would I would say that avoid stress as much as you can. Mm. Keep mama happy. <laughs> Some good advice right I there. Like you. <laughs> well, thank you, Miguel, for being here. And it's uh, fun to hear your stories and Mm -hmm. I'm sure this is going to make a difference. Yes. Thank you. So many more stories than (laughs) we we covered in an hour, but man, it was was so part two. Yeah. (laughs) I'd love to do it. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you guys. Love you too. All right, friends. We really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at Dear Young Married Couple. And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.